You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 75. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and welcome to episode 75. So, it is now November, and the rest of this year is going to fly by. So, that means that it is time to start thinking about planning for 2021. Planning and goal setting are two of my favorite things, and my guest today is all about it. He consults with people and businesses who want to create extraordinary results including corporations, couples, and individuals, from Fortune 50 executives to solopreneurs looking to grow. And he helps them focus on their one thing so they can streamline and create a more productive culture. So what does that mean? He helps people, business owners, and large corporations work less and make more. And if that sounds good to you, then you are in for a treat. Before we dive into the interview, if you are new to the podcast and don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I am Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than two and a half million dollars in ad spend and served more than 1,000 students and clients. We are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I absolutely love teaching about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And if you're an entrepreneur, you know that time is your most valuable resource, but most of us spend a lot of time wasting it rather than investing it in what matters. If you're going to be at the top of your game to scale your online business, then you must listen to the conversation I'm about to share with you. My guest on the show today is Jeff Woods. Jeff is the vice president of The One Thing and the host of The One Thing podcast, which is in the top 5% of all podcasts in the world. After hearing the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, Jeff set out on a mission to surround himself with high-level CEOs and successful entrepreneurs. Fast forward, Jeff went from employee to entrepreneur, launching a company with the co-authors of the best-selling book, The One Thing. Jeff has been featured in entrepreneur.com and is on a mission to help people better invest their time and achieve extraordinary results. And I love that book. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I love books. I'm always recommending books. If you haven't read The One Thing, it's definitely a must read. Jeff and I covered so much in this interview, and Jeff told me afterwards, actually, that this is one of his most favorite interviews he's done yet. In the interview, Jeff shares the surprising way he went from being in the audience at a corporate event where Gary Keller and Jay Papasan were speaking to landing the gig of a lifetime and helping the One Thing brand go from being a best-selling book to a multi-million dollar online business. He also shares why following the proven model of growing an online business may not be the best move and why he decided to stop their Facebook ads, funnels, and webinars and start over from scratch. 
even though they were converting really well. He also shares how billionaire Gary Keller coached him to play a bigger game and serve their customers better. Plus, Jeff shares the biggest mistake people make when it comes to goal setting. And I'll give you a hint. I actually made this mistake during the interview and Jeff corrected me on air so that you don't make this mistake too. And I'm glad that he did. This is one of my most favorite interviews so far. And I know it's going to help you take your business to the next level guaranteed. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 75. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 75. All right, here it is. Here's my interview with Jeff Woods from theonething.com. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am so excited about our conversation today. Thanks, Monica. Pleasure to be here. So can you get everybody up to speed on who you are and what you do and what you're all about? What's your one thing? Sure. Uh, Hey, everybody. I'm Jeff Woods. We change the way people view time. And what I mean by that is time is our most valuable resource. The problem is most people, without even knowing it, they're spending their time. They're not investing it. And just like with our money, when we make an investment of our capital, we expect a return, but we don't hold our time to the same standard we hold our dollars to, even though it's more valuable. And everything we do is about helping people better invest their time by actually having a relationship with their goals so they can achieve extraordinary results. I love it. I love it. So I'm a huge fan of the book, the book, The One Thing. It's a bestseller. I heard about it years ago and had to read it and I devoured it. But now you have helped to build this into a huge brand and online business. So I'd love to hear, you know, where did you get started in this? How did you become an entrepreneur and growing this business? What does your story look like? So cool. November 1st is my fifth year anniversary, by the way. So the timing is, is really interesting. Prior to co-founding this, this company with the co-authors of the book, I was in medical device sales, which was an awesome job. I, I was living in Southern California. I ran through hospitals selling a device that actually saved lives. And because I got to wear scrubs every day, I thought it was an excuse to get my wife to call me McDreamy. She, <laughs> she did not. And Monica, I was where probably a lot of your listeners were or are right now, which is you're waking up feeling like even though life's good, something's missing. I remember deeply feeling like I was meant for more, but I didn't know what it was. And that gap between what I was doing versus what I, the person I thought I could become, that gap was very painful for me. And it really took two things in my life happening to compel me to start making a change. First was a colleague of mine just had a stroke. And at the time, Monica, he was just 35 years old. I was standing in the kitchen reflecting on if what happened to my colleague had happened to me, what would happen to my family? My wife and I just bought a house in Orange County. We just had our first child. My wife decided to become a stay-at-home mom. That was very unsettling for me. And then the way timing worked out, the very next week, my company needed to make a change to our commission structure and overnight, I lost 40% of my income. Wow. For anybody who's had a big pay cut or job loss, if you are the provider for your family, that rocks you to your core. And that was the moment. You ever heard the the Jim Rohn quote, Monica, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? Oh, yes. I love that quote. Question, and you can be honest. When you heard it, did you actually ask who are my five? 
I did. And I started to think about who I was spending the time with, spending uh -huh. my most time with and who I was learning from. And I think I heard it after I started kind of pursuing personal development and learning mm. about becoming an entrepreneur myself. And so I think I was spending a lot of my time listening to podcasts, you know, like this one and getting inspired about what could be. And that, you know, that feeling, I had that feeling of being meant for more, but trying to figure out what that could be. So mm -hmm. I, I heard it at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like you, when I heard it, I reflected on who are my five and I actually made a list. When I looked at the list, I was surprised because I was actually overwhelmed with gratitude. These are amazing people. I always want them to be in my life. The aha moment for me, Monica, was I had five amazing friends. What I was missing was five amazing mentors. And there's a difference. A mentor is somebody who's where you want to be, who can advise you on how to follow the path. They can help, the way I look at it, they can help you collapse time. They can help you understand, this is how you have to do this. This is the person you need to know. I can help you make that introduction. By the way, you're likely to make this mistake. Here's how you don't make it. That became my one thing at the time, surrounding myself with the right people. And it, you fast forward, it was our national sales meeting. And when I walked into the ballroom, a copy of the one thing was on every single chair. And then Jay Papazan, who co-authored The One Thing with Gary Keller, walked out on stage. And for the next hour, he proceeded to walk through why the one thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results and how Gary used these principles to build Keller Williams from a small little real estate company in Austin to now it's the number one real estate company in the world. It's got over 200,000 people. So these, it's not like some person who just wrote a book as a lead magnet. This is a self-made billionaire and <laughs> how he did it. And I remember the whole time I was sitting in the audience, Monica, I was asking, how the heck could I get Jay to be one of my five? How could I get Gary to be one of my five? And then, of course, all the limiting beliefs seep in, like, what could I say to them to make them interested in me? What could I give them to make it worth their time? And when Jay finished, he got a standing ovation. When everybody else sat, I was still standing. And it was one of those defining moments where, you ever had one of those moments, Monica, where your mind's telling you to do one thing, but your heart's telling you to do another? Oh, yes. My mind said, sit. My heart said, Go. And before you know it, I am literally sprinting down the side of the ballroom and I approached Jay. I was the first one to get to him. And that's, that struck up a conversation. What I was unaware of was that the one thing had already become one of the highest rated business books of all time. And this created a problem because they knew the book needed to become a company. They had an obligation to help people live it. But Gary's one thing is being chairman of Keller Williams. Jay's one thing is writing books with Gary. They were hunting for somebody whose one thing was the one thing. So then how did you go from introducing yourself, being in that setting to building a relationship where they would trust you to help build this company? Good question. As I started surrounding myself with successful people, really successful people, not the people that try to give the air of success, but people who actually had already done it, something surprised me. When they showed up in a room, they didn't look to get, they looked to give. I think all of us have been to that network meeting where you're talking to somebody and you can tell they're just sizing you up to see like, what can you do for them? And maybe you've been that person. I was that person at that time. But when I started really having conversations with people who were at another level, they made you feel like you were the most important person in the room. And I heard a common question of, out of everything you're focusing on, where do you need help most right now? 
How might I be able to help? And it, it, it really struck me. I remember the first time somebody asked me that. I was like, what do you mean? How can you help me? You're up here. Like I put this person on a pedestal and you're asking how you can help me. It, it, it literally left a deep impression on me. And so when I approached Jay, I said to him, out of everything you're focusing on, where do you need help most right now? How can I help? And he said, you know, we're looking for more exposure for the book. At the time, I had started a podcast called The Mentee. I was the mentee and I was recording private conversations with my mentors, which this is a completely different rabbit hole we could go around, but I turned that into a six-figure business in less than a year. So I interviewed Jay. And at the end of that episode, I asked him, out of everything you're focusing on, where do you need help most right now? How can I help? And he said, we're looking for more exposure. And so I offered to make some introductions because I had developed relationships with a lot of podcasters and I literally got him booked on their shows. I circled back a month later. What are you focusing on? How can I help? And he said, we're looking for more exposure. He had no idea I was writing for entrepreneur.com at the time. So without even telling him, I just wrote an article and started blasting it. And I saw him sharing all my social media posts. So I commented back with guess what question, Monica? How can I help? What, what are you are focusing you on? on? How yes. can I help? This is, let's, let's pause the story. That's the fourth time I've asked how I can bring value to him. How many times did I ask for something in return? Never. Zero. Never. Never. Because in my mind, if I could just bring value to people, I trusted that over time, good things would come my way. And here's when it happened. Because he didn't say, we're looking for more exposure. He said, I'm looking for a CEO for a publishing company. And I literally thought of three people I had met who were publishing CEOs. And I thought, and I said to him, I've got three people that might be a fit, but I'm not sure what you're looking for. So why don't we chat so I can learn who you're looking for and make the right intro. And when we got on the phone, Monica, he really surprised me because he didn't describe the three gentlemen I was thinking of. He described me. The rest is history. Wow. So you made yourself available. You stood out because probably they're used to other people asking them for things, right? Can you mm -hmm. come on my show? Can you do this for me? Can you mentor me? Can you do this? And you were putting yourself out there to be of help to them and really putting their needs above your own and helping how you could. And that's the quality that they were looking for in their CEO. Yes and no. The things that they were looking for were very specific. Everything you said is what got me to the place where he would ask, does Jeff fit what we're looking for? And what they were looking for was somebody who had a very strong sales background, who had a finance background, who knew how to turn content into dollars. Now let's look at my resume. I cut my teeth at Xerox out of college. It's some of the best sales training you can get in the world. I then became medical device and was a president's club winner. So sales, check. Finance background, I majored in accounting. Almost went to work for one of the big four, check. Knew how to turn content into dollars. I turned the mentee into a six-figure business in 10 months. So the things I was already doing made me qualified for the job. But what got me considered for the job was the fact that I showed up as the person who tried to help others get what they want first. I see. So then opportunity presented itself because you were being helpful and you had this experience. You were already working on becoming the kind of person that would be right for this role. Yes. And you just didn't realize it at the time. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, and, then, and you ready for this? The best part is when Jay, when I, the moment we were on the phone and I realized it was me, I did what every hungry, ambitious person would do. I said, can I call you back? 
in a high-pitched voice just like that. And he goes, yeah. And I literally hung up the phone and sat in my car for silence for, for like five minutes because I knew this was a defining moment. And I walked into my house. I looked at my wife who was like holding our baby girl. And she said, I said, honey, I just had a conversation. I don't have time to talk, but I bet we end up moving to Texas. And she goes, okay, tell me when to pack. And I go, I'll be back. And I ran to my office, grabbed my microphone because I knew I had to document the moment. That became episode 57 of The Mentee. I literally document that conversation all the way to me up, up to me quitting my medical device job and getting on a plane to fly to Austin to move. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so then what were your first steps? So they had this best-selling book. What did they have to get started with Ooh, building this business? Because yeah. it's grown tremendously since. And I would love to hear how you grew the mentee, if you could quickly sure. touch on that to six figures in 10 months. That's, that's phenomenal. Well, the, the answer is the same. So what I walked into, let's make no mistake about it. I'm very fortunate that I was handed one of the highest rated business books of all time as a platform. You can't discount that. It matters. And they were smart. They knew your business as your database. So they had established an email list of about 40,000 people. So I, knowing that, I felt confident to quit my medical device job going, I, I had taken an email list of 2,000 people and turned it into 100 grand. What the heck could I do with an email list of 40,000 people? That was my mindset. And my approach to building both were, was exactly the same. Zig Ziglar says, you can have everything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. All I did with the mentee was when I did podcast episodes, I literally said, hey, I genuinely want to serve you. If you want to talk to me, I'll get on the phone with you. I genuinely want to help. And I would give them a URL that would redirect to my scheduler. And people could book a call with me free of charge. And my goal, Monica, was to figure out what people's biggest problem was as it pertained to mentorship. And by getting on the phone with people consistently, I finally heard the theme. How do I find my first mentor? And so I launched a course call to, to help people find their first mentor. And I pre-sold it to people. I didn't create it until I pre-sold it. And then I followed up with people and said, where do you need help next? And they said, I really would love to be connected with other people on the journey to finding mentors. So I started a continuity program. And then I followed up and asked, well, where do you need help next? And they said, man, I, I love all this. I would love to come in a more like an intimate mastermind setting where I could even meet some of your mentors. So I launched a mastermind. That was a hundred grand a year, which I later sold. I saw, if you had told me I could have started a podcast and a little business behind it and turned around and sold it, I would have told you you're freaking nuts. That happened. I did the same thing with the one thing. When I stepped in, they had done a survey asking people what their biggest problem was. And the answer was time blocking and battling distractions. Time blocking is the act of scheduling time with yourself, not with anybody else to do what matters most. People really struggled with time blocking and battling distractions. So I pre-sold a course. And I called it the Founding Members Club, where we would literally design this course for you to your needs. It's called Time Blocking Mastery. And I learned a really interesting lesson. I wasn't sure how many people were going to sign up. It was $1,000 to sign up to be a founding member. And we said, we'll take a max of 100 people because we thought that was the most we could get. And honestly, I really wasn't sure if we would even get close to 100. 205 people signed up and put their credit card down. $205,000 hit our Stripe account. And then I learned wow. a really valuable lesson, which is your values aren't your values unless they cost you something. For a startup business that had zero revenue that needed to get into the black, I had to refund $105,000 right, in my first said, 90 days. Only 100 people. Uh-huh. 
And so you had to be true to your word as hard as that was. I learned my next valuable lesson, which we knocked it out of the park for those founding members. And Time Blocking Mastery is still a flagship master course of ours. It still sells on our website. I remember sitting down with Jay and with Gary Keller and reviewing the results. And I was going, look at all the sales. Look at how we have no refunds. Look at the reviews. And I remember Gary looked at me and said, your product sucks. And I said, excuse me? (laughs) He said, your product sucks. And I said, help me understand why. And he said, let me ask you a question. Of all the people that signed up, how many of them brought you a new customer? My answer was zero. And he said, that's why your product sucks. You know you've built a great business when every customer brings you a customer. Go build that. So that's interesting because I'm thinking about the book. And the book didn't become a bestseller because millions of people just decided to go buy it. It's because people who read it early on were like, this book is life-changing. And they share You have to read it, sharing it to their friends. So then looking back, he's telling you the same thing, that you need to build a product that's going to be that shareable. Yes. That people are going to find it so valuable, they have to share it with everybody that they know. That's right. So then what did you do with that feedback? Uh, Nothing. I, I didn't truly grasp it. And at the time... I was so deep in the internet marketing model of build your website, have your lead magnets, have your email automations driving to an ever webinar that have 12 emails that follow up with them over the next seven days to maximize conversion. And when they convert, upsell them to this, downsell them to that, because that's the proven model for internet marketing. And the thing that I, it took me about a year and a half to two years to learn was just because something is a proven model generically doesn't mean it's the right model for you. I remember it it hit me like a ton of bricks because online training is only a fraction of our business. We also are asked by a lot of the Fortune 500 companies to come and help them create a productive culture. And I remember doing a training for a Fortune 500 company, standing in front of a room of high-level executives. And I was at the end of the training when I was about to ask them to go download a lead magnet because I genuinely thought it would help them. And I I stopped myself because I realized the moment they opted in, they were about to get blasted with emails. And for Mm -hmm. a company that's in the business of helping you better invest their time, we weren't living our mission at that time. And that's when I knew things had to change. We would no longer just do what everybody else does because they say that's the way you had to do it. We were going to do the things that were right for us. And what was amazing is we stopped all Facebook ads, literally shut it all down. We stopped doing sales webinars. The moment we stopped doing those things, our business exploded. Interesting. Counterintuitive, right? It is. That's interesting. So your your business exploded after you stopped the quote unquote normal digital marketing Uh processes, shut down the funnels. I'm curious. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist. I have an agency. We run Facebook ads for companies. I'm curious why you think shutting down the Facebook ads helped lead to exploding the business or it was just getting very focused on your strategy. Here's the difference. I believe ads have a place. The mistake that startup entrepreneurs are making is they think that if they get somebody to do their funnels and they get somebody to run traffic, that they're going to scale this awesome business because they see stories of people that have done it. But the truth is, it's like having a ship. If your ship has holes in it, it doesn't matter how much water you keep dumping out. Water's going to keep coming in. And for us, we had not 
built a world-class product yet. We had not built a world-class system yet that when you grossed a new customer, you netted a new customer. We were not in the retention game yet. We were just trying to grow, but we're pouring money in the top of funnel and there are holes throughout the funnel and nothing was coming out the bottom. So we were just barely breaking even. And I remember having a conversation with Jay and Gary about this and they said, focus on building a referral-based business first versus an ad-driven business. And once you have that business where when you get customers, not only do you keep them, but they start bringing you customers, when you have that, throw ads on top of that. That's when you go to scale. And if you read books like Growth Hacker Marketing, which I've had conversations with Sean Ellis about this, that's the exact thing they say. Don't try to just scale the product when it's got holes in it. Make sure you've got the right product that has retention, then you scale. I love that. Yeah. And that makes sense with, with our experience, our most successful clients and students are the ones that have a really great product that people are buying already. And then ads just add another layer to that. So that makes perfect sense. There you go. So instead of obsessing with conversion in every step of the funnel, we started obsessing with the customer. And from a really high level, think about how I got into business with Gary and Jay delivering value first. How did I scale the mentee and how did I initially get our first product off the ground with the one thing? Figuring out what the pain was and solving the problem. And the moment that happened, we immediately abandoned, without realizing it, abandoned that strategy and just focused on conversion and funnels without focusing on the customer experience. That's what we got back to was the customer experience. And as a result, the business has exploded. I love it. So how did you then change? You had a product that was working. What did you do to shift things that led to this explosion? Yeah, well, the next thing was we realized that when we were just selling a course every month, I have fixed expenses, but I didn't have fixed income. I had to hit the list all over again. And it was made very clear to me early on that Gary and Jay invested five years researching and writing the, the one thing so that the bar for quality would be astronomically high. It's why it's one of the highest rated business books of all time. And Gary said to me directly, your job is to raise the bar, not to lower it. And I also know there's no amount of money that this business can make that would warrant undermining Gary's credibility because Keller Williams is a freaking beast. So I had to play a bigger game. Like Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game versus the finite game. I had to play an infinite game. So Part of it was shifting away from selling courses that are high ticket to recurring revenue. So we started a program called Living Your One Thing, where we literally help people go on a journey to becoming a practice leader of the principles. We help them live it. Because like you know, Monica, you read the book and you go, oh, this is amazing. It's so simple. And then you try to live it and you fall flat on your face. We help them overcome that. We wanted a recurring revenue-based business. And so that was an an amazing shift for us because then all of a sudden we know every month, no matter what, there's money that's coming in. And then that led us to realizing, okay, we need a way for our online members to come together in person, which led to Jay and his wife, Wendy, this is their 14th year of every single year doing a couple's goal-setting retreat. And it's changed their life. It's changed their marriage. And so we said, let's deliver the one thing couple's goal-setting retreat. 
So we started delivering an in-person event. This year with COVID, we're doing it virtually. And I know you shared the timing of this. It's actually right around the corner. So November 14th and 15th is the virtual couples goal-setting retreat. And the following weekend, because we've scaled, we have the goal-setting retreat for individuals and teams, which if you guys want to learn more about that, you can go to the onething.com slash set my goals. And that's with the number one in the URL. So the one, number one thing.com slash set my goals. So went to recurring revenue, started doing in-person events, and then that opened the corporate game. And tell me where you want to go. There's so much we've done. I love it. Okay. So for the recurring revenue, this is a membership essentially that people are joining. Yes. And what does that look like? What is the content that's being delivered look like? Is it a new, I've been in many memberships and some have like new courses that come out every single month or a different theme. What does that look like? It's evolved. It started with just doing training, live trainings on a regular basis. And then we pivoted to getting off the hamster wheel to what are the core things that people need support with when it comes to living the one thing? And let's develop foundational courses on those. So something they can, in 90 minutes or less, have everything they need to truly change their behavior on a specific item, along with having one monthly group coaching call a month plus access to a community. And it's evolved even more. As the team has scaled, I have people that wake up obsessing over the customer experience to the point where multiple times throughout the year, we help people just inside our community go on what we call a 66-day challenge, which it takes on average 66 days to form a habit. And so we literally help people form habits that decide their futures. And this also scales at a corporate level. So there's lots of ways we line the dominoes up, but any individual can step into this program and be, belong to a community where people believe we can invest our time and not spend it. And we help them do that. So with the corporate, the corporate people join the same program or is there uh-huh. like a separate branch so this is again where the corporate level uh, this is this is another lesson i learned from jay and gary if you're gonna add something new to your plate ask how does it amplify what you're already doing we already had the online training we had started doing the goal setting retreat every year and then we had these companies reaching out to us saying hey can you come to a keynote or can you do or can you come speak at a team meeting or our national conference and i started to get really frustrated because people would consistently say it was one of the best keynotes or workshops they've ever been to because the content's that good but i'd get frustrated when i would follow up in 30 60 90 days and they weren't living it And so I naturally started asking the question, if we're in the business of helping people better invest their time, how do we create productive cultures? Cultures where it is no longer acceptable to show up to the office, open up your computer and check email. It's no longer acceptable to blindly say yes to every meeting request. And it's no longer acceptable that you are expected to say yes if somebody asks if you've got a minute. And we create a world and a culture where it is expected that you have cleared in your priorities before you check everyone else's, that you show up to meetings only if you've already knocked your 20% out. Otherwise, you find a suitable option. And if somebody asks if you've got a minute, you clearly state, my one thing right now is blank, is what you're about to ask me of higher priority. Because most often it's not. And that's how it's evolved to the point where now it's, it's shifted into consulting where we help leaders create business plans. We certify people inside organizations. And by the way, when you have people who train it on the inside, every employee needs to know how to live the one thing so they get access to living your one thing. So one program now serves the individual at scale. 
Did you follow that? Yeah. So you have people, you, you consult with businesses, mm-hmm. with corporations, and then you certify people within their organizations. So they can help to kind of change the culture from the inside out. Bingo. And then everybody gets access to the living. Bingo. One thing because at the end of the day, if you want it to become part of their culture, it's not about having me or one of my people come back over and over again. It's about having people on the inside who are truly experts to the point that we certify them. And that means something. There's standards there. And those people then drive the adoption of the program, but every employee needs resources, which is living your one thing. That way, the certified facilitator inside can say, hey, you need to learn how to do the 411, which is a tool we use to get clarity on our priorities. Go watch this course in the training platform one of the foundational courses. Show up to one of their monthly coaching calls and watch how it gets done and bring me your 411 in two weeks. It's leverage for the internal facilitators and then we have the relationship with the facilitators so we advise them on the strategy to make it part of their culture. So I would, I'm really curious, could you share a case study or maybe a couple of case studies of where yeah. teams have implemented this and it's completely revitalized because it feels like a big undertaking because we're going to change the culture. That's not an easy thing to do. We're going to change the culture of a corporation and, you know, whether it's a large team or small team, but what are the results? You know, we're, we're business people here. Sure. We want to see like, what are the, what are the results on the bottom line and helping us achieve our goals? All of that. Sure. Can you share a couple of stories like that? Yeah. So the, the, the best Let me preface by saying the size of the organization is not what's important. I'm going to share purposefully examples of really big companies because I want you to understand that this can scale. But I don't care if you have two people or five people. It works. It's easier if you're small, but if you're, you need to understand that this scales as you scale. So let's use an example, a Fortune 50 company in the logistics space. I'm not allowed to, to say their name but because I've signed a non-disclosure. But I sat down with some of their senior executives to help them create a one-page business plan we call a GPS. Oftentimes, people create business plans that are like 20 pages long and they're useless. We call it a one-page business plan because it literally is one page because it's tough to be on the same page with your people if your plan doesn't fit on the same page. Super simple. And GPS stands for goal, priority, and strategy. And just like the GPS on your phone, it figures out where you are, you enter in where you want to go, and it tells you how to get there and how to navigate if you hit a detour. That's what this does. So I sat down with this executive and they brought 70 of their top leaders into a room. And when he originally showed me all the stuff that was on their plate, they had 20 20 pages of things they needed to do. And people were overworked. They were burning out. They were sacrificing their marriages. They were sacrificing time with their kids. They were sacrificing their health because they were just burning both ends of the candle. And when we came together and facilitated an experience where everybody discussed, what is the goal for this one team inside the organization? What's the goal? And we debated it. And the leader got smart and said, boom, this is the goal. Great. Then they asked the question, if this is the goal, what are the priorities for the organization? And they discussed them and they walked out with four priorities. Remember, this came from a list of 20 pages long. They got it down to four things and they clearly assigned to owner and then they identified the simple strategies that they needed to knock down to make that priority fall. And here's why this matters. Most people inside a company don't know what the one thing for the organization or the team is. Everybody knew it now. Most people don't actually know what their priorities are. Now they know it. 
and they have no idea what the order of priority is or what to do when priorities change. They now had it documented. If some new shiny object showed up, they would just look at their GPS and ask, if I say to this fifth thing, where does it belong on here? Is it the new number one? Is it the new number two? Is it the new number three? It would force them to prioritize the new item. I fast, you fast forward with that team. It was an IT team. They said they historically had really not delivered their sprints on time, if you know what a sprint is. Do you know what that is, Monica? Yeah, I've read the book Scrum. Yeah. And so a sprint is typically could be a two to four week period where you just go, go, go on this one Bingo. initiative, one project. Bingo. They went from sometimes getting their sprints done on time to delivering sprints two weeks early. Wow. Because their team suddenly understood what their priorities were. I took another team from this one item that was their true priority. They had been behind for six months. In two weeks, they had it done. Because when you really get clear on what matters, everything else becomes a distraction. So that's one company. You want another? Yeah, that'd be great. I love it. I'm working with another company right now. They've got 45,000 employees. And I'm working directly with the chairman of the board now. And this guy's a self-made billionaire. And if we look at what's happened with the company, there is a culture where people work long hours. They're working six days a week, 10, 12 14-hour days, they believe that success is who can work the longest. And mm-hmm. people will literally stand around just to be seen without doing anything. And that's why Sounds they brought like us in. you're describing my corporate career. Uh-huh. <laughs> my corporate life. Yep. And they brought us in because they wanted to create a productive culture. And in less than four months, this happened two weeks ago where I was um, doing a consulting call with the chairman of the board and he had 25 of his most senior leaders on it. And he publicly said, I realized that my entire career, I have trained you guys to come to me for approval and everything. I've never given you the autonomy to run freely without me. And I've realized that's why the business is not scaling. And I need to empower you guys to say no to me. And we had an entire conversation about how we can create a culture where when your boss asks you to do something, how you can clearly tell them what you're saying yes to so that by default, you say no to them and it feels good. I'm getting reports from, because we're working with the top 600 leaders in this organization, that the entire company has changed. And let's give some context. I mean, these are big companies. These are really successful companies. They're massively successful. And they got there. And we all have problems, whether you're small or whether you're large. But what you have to realize when you're hitting against the ceiling of achievement, you're missing a person or a system. You're missing a person in the form of leverage, a coach, a consultant, or you're missing a system. In both of these companies' instances, they were missing us in the form of people, and they were missing the systems that we had so that people could really be clear about what are the 20% things that are going to drive 80% of our results, and how do we drive those things hard and create a common language where you can say no to everything else. Taking notes feverishly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, lots, so happened then how five, do you, lots happened in five years. Yeah. How do you begin to change that? I mean, first of all, the, the executives need to be on board that it's okay to say no because you're saying yes to something. And then you've got you to weave that in throughout the company and then you have to keep reinforcing it. And I know I've been working on my team to working with my team to put more of the decision-making on them so that I don't have to be the point person uh, to make every little decision so we can move things forward. And I just need to trust my team. But, you know, it's it's nice to be needed and to be helpful and, you know, to want to help. So it's it's kind of a shift there. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah. You ready for you ready for the the mind blowing 
experience? I'm ready. Yeah, this ready. is a good one. And I learned this from Gary. So let's give credit where credit is due. This is the journey the leader needs to go on if they want to achieve extraordinary results. Now, to be clear, what I just said there, I didn't say you have to go on this journey. I said, you have to go on it if you want to achieve something extraordinary. When we started businesses, I do it. I do everything. And when I do everything, I have a job. I have a job in that business. And we do that well. The business gets off the ground. And all of a sudden, we are doing it because you bring on people. Right, Monica? Yes. Here's the problem with living in we. When we do it together, I still have a job. Your goal as a leader is to go from I do it to we do it to they do it. The moment you move from we to they, you cross this imaginary line called freedom. Mm. And the moment you can move from they do it to them feeling like it's theirs, they feel like they own their job. It's theirs. That's when you start building an empire. The journey is to go from I to we to they to theirs. So this begs the question, how do you do that? Right. This is where the tools of the one thing come in. I've already mentioned both of them, the GPS and the 411, which if you guys go to our training page, it's the one thing.com slash training. We've got some free courses on how to use those tools. It gives you a real high-level overview of it. The GPS is the one-page business plan. It brings clarity and alignment at a leadership level. What's the business plan for the team or the overall organization? The whole purpose of that is so each person involved understands what piece of the plan am I responsible for? And once I know the piece I'm responsible for, that moves to my 411, which 411 if you look up in the dictionary, it stands for the relevant information or truth. Or just like when we used to call 411, we called to get the relevant information. It also makes, means four weeks, one month, one year. What are the things I have to do each of the four weeks so that I accomplish my goals for the month, so I accomplish my goals for the year? It's a systematic way to break our annual goals down to activities we need to take this week. Most people do not know how to bridge that gap, which is why they spend all day checking email, going from meeting to meeting, and saying yes if they've got a minute. And it's why we're busy and question if we get anything done. These two tools force people to ask questions so that they're not waiting for their boss to tell them what to do. They're coming up with the plan for what they're going to do and their boss plays coach so they own their job. You okay? You still there? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to take it all in. Okay. Oh, so and by they, the way, you ready for me to tie yes. it back together? Please. Remember living your one thing? It's what we help people do. We help them create their GPS. We help them start living with a weekly 411. There are foundational courses that show them how to do that. There's monthly coaching calls that show examples of how to live with it. We go on 66-day challenges to forming habits around using the tools, and they belong to a private community where they can collaborate with others using the tools. You getting it? I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's so, excited? <laughs> so you're, you're creating this community and this culture within the community that, I mean, it's a, it's a different language that people are used to. And if you actually look up and study what's required to build a culture, one of the 20% things that drives 80% of the culture is a common language. 
That was not by default. That was by design that we created a common language. So this is a good tip too, for those of us who are creating memberships and creating communities is to, to keep that in mind too, to incorporate a common language. How can you incorporate that in that sense of community in your program and, mm-hmm. and in your community that you're building? How can you incorporate that so people feel like they belong? Mm-hmm. So as you started to build the community, then how did you bring people together? You said you started with the live coaching calls. How do you reinforce that sense of community and welcome people to the community and celebrate people? What does that look like? Well, this is where my team is working on now. They're asking those questions. So some of it is us looking at our training calendar and this is where virtual training and really becoming masters of it, realizing we can facilitate a lot of things virtually and connection better than we could have in person, which is crazy to think. But that's where we're looking at our business plan for next year and saying, what are those things that we can do? We've looked at, as we put people on 66-day challenges, we put them into small accountability groups so that you might be with five people where you're all checking in on each other. That's where the events come into play. This is, this is how that stuff starts to scale. I like it. So in looking to next year, you mentioned that you know this is what you're working on and planning. How do we look ahead to 2021? You know, 2020 has been a, a year of change for for many of us, and you know the world has changed really. So mm. as we look at 2021 and hope that things come back to some kind of normalcy, but we still don't know because yeah. we're still in this level of uncertainty. How do you recommend planning? and looking ahead at your goals for 2021. So this is exactly what we do in that goal setting retreat. And I'm going to tell you the mistake that people make is they ask the question that you just asked. What are my goals for next year? Here's why it's a mistake. If you just ask, what are my goals for next year? You're going to come up with ideas that seem really attractive. But the problem is you can say yes to something that's attractive in the short run, that's a distraction in the long run. Here's what I mean by that. Monica, you live in Dallas. Let's say I drove up. I'm in Austin right now. Let's say I drove up. We had lunch at my buddy's restaurant and then we we hopped on a plane at DFW. Where do you want to go? Oh, Cancun. Cancun. Cool. We're going to Cancun. I'm so excited. Let's imagine that once we take off that the plane, there was a big gust of wind and it blew the plane just, just 10 degrees off course, but it didn't correct. What are the odds that we land in Cancun? Probably minimal, very minimal. (laughs) Zero, zero, right? The path just, it starts to diverge and it just keeps diverging, right? This is what I mean is that something that can be attractive in the short run, like if the plane just got, if the nose of the plane just got bumped 10 degrees to the right, it's not even noticeable. But over the course of hours, it actually grows into a massive divide. And this is what we mean when people just set their goals looking forward, when they just ask, what are my business plan? What's my business plan for this year? They'll say yes to something that looks attractive in the short run. But if you extrapolate it out over time, it takes you away from where it is you actually want to go, which begs the question. What? I said, you're limiting yourself. Bingo. Which begs the question, where do you want to go? Okay. Most people don't know that answer. And the reason is because they never gave themselves the space to search. That's what we do at this retreat, whether it's for the couples, the individuals, the teams, we genuinely facilitate an experience where somebody's going to have to imagine what they want in area of their business or an area of their personal life to look like someday from now. 
And you get to define what that is. I can tell you for me, someday is 20 years out. Like Monica, if I ask you, what do you want your business to look like in 20 years from now? Go, go. What do you want your business to look like in 20 years? Go. Oh, wow. In 20 years, I think, I, I think I'm going to be doing something totally different. I think. I, See, we'll just stop. If you were clear, you would have gone, Jeff, here's what we're doing. And by the way, I just, I did that to prove a point. Very few people can answer that question. I couldn't until I was taught how to, but here's the point. How billionaires set goals is they time travel. They really invest the time to get clear on what success looks like someday from now. So they can then look backwards on their life and ask, where would I have to be in the next five years to be on track for the someday? By the way, that still requires real searching and facilitation. But once you have that direction, five years, if I say, Monica, if this is where you need to be in five years, what do you need to do in this next year? You'd go, oh, easy, Jeff. This is what I got to do. Now you know your goals for the year. And they might be different than what you would have come up with otherwise. And once you have those goals, you then put the simple business plan in place, that GPS. You do that. And then we help you understand if this is your business plan, what's the piece of the pie that you're responsible for? Here's how you load it into your 411. So you're hyper clear by the end of this month. These are the handful of things you got to do. And if that's the case, Monica, here's the handful of 20% priorities that if you just knock those dominoes down this week, Not only are you on track for your month, not only are you on track for your year, your actions are in alignment with a greater vision for your life. That's exactly what this retreat is. I love it. So we're going to look at the big picture and then work our way backwards to figure out what five years from now looks like, what one year from now looks like so that we can create actionable steps to actually hitting those goals. So you put a plan in place so you know exactly this is what I have to do this week to know I'm on track. People, the world does not need a new way to set goals. They need a way to have a relationship with them. And just like with a significant other, you don't meet them and go, whew, you are something. I'll see you in a year. We date them. We talk to them in between dates. We ask, how's it going? And when the answer is not good, we change our activities so we get on track. We teach you how to have a relationship with your goals. So let's break that down. I know that a big part of the one thing is focusing your time, your schedule around your one thing. And you mentioned time blocking that you created this time blocking mastery because that's one of the biggest struggles that people have when they're trying to adhere and and focus on their one thing. So can you just share quickly, I know you cover this, you've gotten extensive, you know, courses and things around this, but can you give us a quick tip that we can implement today to get better at protecting our time blocking and focusing on our one thing? Sure. So when you really get clarity on what your one thing is, and if you're going, Jeff, I have more than one thing. Welcome to the party. We all do. Your one thing might be, some of us have a clear one thing like writers, write. Researchers, research, salespeople do lead generation. Some of us have lots of different high level priorities. Your one thing might be whatever the highest priority is for the day. It's about can we just open our calendars and make sure that we block time for that? And we have to view it like a river. If you imagine water rushing down a river and there's a big boulder in the middle of the stream, Monica, when the water hits the the boulder, what's it going to do? Going to hit up against it. And then what? And splash up and splash over. And go around it. Yeah. We need to start treating our priorities like the big rocks that they are. But we treat them like pebbles. That when the water hits it, it just pushes the pebble away. 
I see. We've got to start looking at our calendar and the stuff that's on it, not like it's set in stone. And we actually have to start looking at it like it has to interview to keep its spot. Get clarity on what matters. Make sure you have time blocked for it because until that one thing is done, frankly, everything else is a distraction. And when you show up to that time block, protect it. And here's two questions you can ask yourself to protect your time block. First, what's most likely to stop me from honoring my time block? I guarantee you'll be able to come up with an answer. And that leads you to ask question two, what's a solution for that? And if you really search for it, you'll figure that out too. Then just implement the solution. I love it. Can you share quickly what your day looks like? Do you have a typical day that's around your one thing? Can you just share that? Yeah. So it depends on the day. So we have to ask the question, what's my job? First, as the president of the company, my job is to lead the company, which means I succeed through others. So the first thing I need to have blocked is time to invest in my team. So Monday mornings, I have my 411s with my team. And Wednesday afternoon, I have a happy hour where we do fun things to build culture since we're virtually. And Thursday afternoons, I have what's called a tactical meeting, which is what I'm going to next. This is a meeting. It's a two to three hour meeting where the team gets to collaborate on the most important topics in the business. It's also my way as the executive to have a pulse on what's happening in the organization. So it's a system for that. So that's step one is how am I going to invest in my people and I just told you the ways that those are. That gets blocked. Second thing is my one thing inside the organization for my job is to drive revenue. So I have lead generation time blocked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. Then I have time blocked for planning. Friday mornings is my planning time block where I actually look at how I did this week and I actually put a plan in place for the next week. That's the 20% stuff that gets blocked. Those are the boulders. Everything else is everything else. Love it. That's great. This has been so wonderful. We've covered so much. I really appreciate your time today, Jeff. Can you share where people should go? We'll, we're going to put all the links that you've shared already in the show notes, but where would you like people to go to learn more about the one thing? Sure. Thank you. First thing I will suggest is our podcast. You're already listening to one. So just click the search bar and type in the one thing. And that's all spelled out the O-N-E-T-H-I-N-G. Three words, the one thing. That's also the name of the book. The second thing I will point you to is our website. If you go to the one thing.com and that's with the number one in the URL on the free stuff, the very first guide you will see is our kick-ass guide to your couple's goal setting retreat. These are some of the most powerful questions that we've curated. If Even if you don't go to the retreat yourself, these are questions you can just have in your conversations that'll transform your relationship. You can get that for free. And if you guys want to actually check out the goal setting retreats that we are facilitating virtually this year. It is hands down one of the best things we do. The couples retreat is November 14th and 15th. And the retreat for individuals and teams is the 21st and 22nd. And one ticket gets you access to both retreats. And you can learn more about that at the one thing.com slash set my goals. Love it. This has been so wonderful. This time just flew by. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Monica. All right. Thank you. I took so many notes during the interview. This is definitely one that I'm going to listen to again and again. I want to thank Jeff once again for joining me on the podcast today and sharing his story and his wisdom with us. 
Be sure to check out all the resources that Jeff mentioned, including the One Thing podcast, the book, of course, if you haven't read it, their free trainings and the virtual retreats that are coming up soon. Jeff and I would love to hear your biggest takeaways. You can share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 75, or you can tag us on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica, and he is at Jeff Woods or at the One Thing Book. That's the number one, the One Thing Book. You can find all the links and resources that Jeff and I mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 75. And thank you so much for joining Jeff and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus, there's an awesome checklist so you can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, and you can find those at monicalouie.com slash 75. If you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast. It truly helps get the podcast found by more people. And subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great episode heading your way. So please join me for next week's episode of the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Flourish.